I'm Nevin, and I'm cooking up a podcast. Each week, I'm going to share some new recipes, talk to people about food and cooking, make some videos, and go on some adventures. You can find it all at nevintaylorcooks.com. This week, I'm talking with Bill Perkins. He's a beekeeper and an urban agriculture enthusiast, and he owns the Agricultural Hall in JP. Welcome back, or welcome if it's your first time to Cooking Up a Podcast. I'm Nevin, and this week I'm talking with Bill. He is a beekeeper, and he's a local food and urban agriculture enthusiast and steward for the community. Uh, he owns the Agricultural Hall in JP, and he's an awesome guy. Just really, really deep down, straight to it awesome dude. He leads a whole bunch of workshops through the agricultural hall, like beekeeping, tree grafting, some workshops on how to make cheese, keeping chickens. You can also, through the agricultural hall, buy all of the equipment for all of that stuff, tapping maple trees. It's in the workshops. Even if you aren't going to, you know, or if you don't have the resources or the space to actually do any of these things, like get bee boxes and keep bees, it's still really, really fun to get involved with the stuff and see the process and connect with food in some way. Like this uh, last fall, I went out to the Boston Nature Center and spun honey with Bill and, you know, you go out to the bee boxes and you smoke mala, you get to see the whole thing, take out the racks the caps, take the caps off of the bees, other things, you put them in the big machine, you spin it around, you get some honey. It's just super fun, super cool. And Bill is just a wealth of knowledge. And yeah, he's just an awesome guy who um, knows a lot of stuff and just wants to uh, get people involved and connected with nature and the environment and press some cider this fall with his the cider press that he has at the Agricultural Hall, which is this like 100-year-old really cool old machine and you just crank it and press it and yeah I made hard cider and Bill was there and he helped out and kind of like guided through the whole process and he also connected me with a you know part of his like larger community when you start talking to him about food and and things that you're interested in he connected me with uh, a friend of his named Peter who's out in Somerville and he lended to me his black walnut cracker which he designed and had built. It's this like heavy metal cracker you attach a drill to and black walnuts are extremely hard. The shells are extremely hard. Um, so yeah, he like designed this thing and had it built and let me borrow it and I still have it. Thanks, Peter. I'm still working. I still have some walnuts to crack and still have some, you know, the black walnut adventure is still happening. Like it's not, it's going to keep going. I, I don't know when it's going to end. It might might not ever end. The cool thing is next fall, you know, it's going to happen again and the, there's going to be more apples to make into cider and in the spring there's more trees to tap. Bill has made the maple syrup in Boston from trees in Boston. Like how cool is that? Like with, he has a evaporator. Like it's just the coolest stuff. It's just the coolest stuff in the middle of the city to just be around. Um, but anyway, Bill's biggest thing is keeping bees. 
he loves bees, super knowledgeable about keeping bees, and he's like a resource in keeping bees and all of the nuances of beekeeping. And uh, so I was inspired this week to share and develop a new recipe for hot honey. And it's kind of big this week. I'm going to try and do, I'm going to try, I am going to do like five different recipes or four different recipes using this hot honey that I've made, releasing them all each day on my YouTube channel and videos and my website and all of the other social media things. But yeah, it's just going to be fun ways that you can use hot honey. Yeah, it was all inspired by Bill and... I think that, you know, he can go so deep on any one of these subjects, experiences and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully in the future, I'm going to be able to connect with him on a deeper level about, you know, maybe each one of these things, you know, who knows, and and do some specific talks and interesting, uh, see where we go and do it all and share it all with everybody through my YouTube channel and through the podcast and through my website sharing recipes that I develop, um, based on all this cool stuff. Yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, here's me and Bill talking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Bill Perkins, and I'm the owner of Agricultural Hall in Jamaica Plain. And we're a urban resource center and supply uh, store for folks who are engaged in or want to learn about urban agricultural activities. Any any kind of activity, any kind of food-related or agricultural-related activity that you could do in an urban setting. There, there are a lot of people who are doing beekeeping in Boston and, and nearby Brookline, uh, even as far out as I get customers coming in from Natick and, and places a little farther afield. But there, So there, there's not a place where people can go and buy woodenware, the boxes, or, or frames or uh, the wax or um, or the bees themselves, which I get in the springtime. So you're the Boston hub yeah. for the bees. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. There's, so the agricultural hall kind of functions as a retail operation of selling the stuff to do any of these kind of like agricultural things you would want to do at your home. Right. Yeah, so I have maple sugaring buckets. Uh, I have chicken feed and supplies, and I get chicks in the springtime for people. Um, there are f a few gardening supplies, uh, but most of those are, are some tools that are made from recycled harrow discs. Uh, so it's one company that makes some really nice, really nice gardening tools. Uh, and then uh, fertilizers, which I have in bulk, and I don't think anybody else does that. So I have, for example, a fish emulsion, and if you come with a wine bottle, you can fill it up and and I'll just charge you uh, accordingly. Uh, I have bags of uh, organic fertilizer, and same thing. You can come with a bag and just fill up a little bit, and, and it saves everybody. Um, you've built it to kind of be this, like, hub of community and people who are trying to get involved in agriculture in an urban setting. Um, one thing that was interesting that I thought of while you were saying all of that stuff was people can buy stuff anywhere now, like Amazon. They can buy wooden bee boxes, but what they can't buy is having a connection with you specifically, which that stuff is 
hugely valuable and becoming more harder to find and becoming lost of those like connections where it's like, yeah, you can buy a bee box, but you don't get to talk to Bill about bees. Like if you just buy it on Amazon and that's like the biggest connection to a community and cool stuff that is going on here and is apparent here. That's like very inspiring for sure. Yeah. Um, I do say I love it. Although I, <laughs> I had no idea getting into this business that um, it's one thing to, to, to sell the equipment and the bee box, but, but, uh, and, and I thought that would sort of be it, you know, I'd be selling the equipment, I'd sell bees in the spring, but yeah, there's a lot of follow up and people really, there, there's so many nuances with beekeeping and I'm, you know, been doing it for four years and I'm still learning so much and killing hives left and right just because of, you know, a week of negligence here or uh, a little bit of the wrong, you know, sort of uh, maneuvering there. And um, so people people really need it and I'm happy to provide it too because much more fun to do it with other people and to share the ideas and to have a place where you can go and and. and talk to other folks and you know part of why I got into this was to sort of spread the gospel of urban agriculture because I see uh, I see it as an opportunity for people to to connect or to in some cases reconnect with nature in a way that they otherwise wouldn't uh, you can live in the city and be aware of uh, temperatures in the morning that might make the maple sap flow faster or um, you know a series of overcast days that will keep the bees in longer or uh, cooped up longer uh, so yeah I, I want I, I mean God knows we need to we need to take better care of of our of what sustains us of, of this earth and um and so any chance to get people to pay more attention uh, and to maybe be more caring is is sort of my ultimate goal. And, and I see agriculture, uh, I see people involved in agriculture as a way to do that as sort of a catalyst of sorts. Um, so, so I'd like to get everybody out, you know, digging in the garden and and keeping bees and such, but that's a bit unrealistic. I often say there are some very passionate people about urban agriculture in Boston, but there are not enough of them yet. Um, and, and I am in this outfit just barely surviving, uh, paying rent, as you say, they say. Um, so what, what drew you to bees and I guess becoming the bee hub? And the, the, like, if anyone has any questions, bees in the Boston area coming and talking to you, like, what is it? What, where did it come from? I guess. What, what about bees? What about the way that they work? What about what it is that they provide? Um, yeah. What's the like inspiration behind the beekeeping? Well, it, it goes back to when I was little and there were, uh, there was one particular tree next to our house that had bees on it all the time and I, I would catch them in little baby jars and baby food jars and keep them around and then let them go and do it again. And so, I, you know, I've always been interested in bees and other insects as well. And I, it's a it's a way for me to keep connected to, to nature. Bees, it, it's nice to have a working relationship with another animal. Bees are having a tough time. 
uh, there's a mite that was introduced uh, into the country accidentally, obviously, like so many of these other things, chestnut blight, Dutch elm disease. And and it jumped uh, from an Asian bee, uh, which is a different species, to Apis mellifera, which is our common honeybee. And they, the common honeybee has no, uh, no uh, sort of genetically, uh, they're not genetically predisposed to, to be able to handle these mites. They just don't know enough that they need to knock them off themselves or to bite them or to carry them out of the hive. So, um, so they get uh, inundated and uh, the mites bring in other diseases as well. And before you know it, there's colony collapse. And, and I think a lot of colony collapse is due to the mites probably... 80%, but there are also other things that are uh, th- that are that endanger bees. Obviously, pesticides is a big one. Uh, it only takes one, uh, you know, w- one application of pesticides by your neighbor to completely, you know, kill a hive. Um, uh, and and there are other diseases as well. There's a dysentery that came from somewhere that nobody really knows where. <laughs> Do you have any good? What do you like to do with all the honey? Because you get a lot of honey. Um, so I I use my honey. Uh, uh, I give a lot of it away. I sell some of it, and I use a lot of it in uh, making cider or apple cider, sweetened apple cider. Uh, apple cider, uh, uh, you you can ferment just regular. Uh, apple cider as is, but uh, by sweetening it, you give that yeast a lot more food to, uh, to, to convert into alcohol and, and CO2. And and so uh, a pound of honey goes into every gallon of apple cider that I ferment. Yeah. There, there's an old apple mill, uh, apple cider press that lives here at Agricultural Hall, and people are more than welcome to bring some apples or pears or anything else they want to yeah i did it this year yeah really cool machine yeah really fun it's beautiful it's definitely a unique experience pressing apples through it for sure that i think is like it's all the stuff that you're talking about connecting with a product that you're actually making and actually turning the gears and feeling them the pull back from the machine and then squeezing and yeah it's definitely there's a, a machine here for uh harvesting uh, or for cracking open uh, acorns there there's now a group that's formed around uh, acorn harvesting and processing in the fall yeah it's it's wonderful uh, food it tastes great yeah, yeah yeah just needs needs processing but it's it's the processing is actually much easier with acorns it's the blanching to get those tannic acids out in in hot water or just a, a long blanch in cold water there's some people who will take their shelled acorns and uh, put them in a bag uh, a netted bag and and they'll put them in a, the tank of a toilet in the back part where the fresh water is and and by every time you flush you're refreshing the water and so they'll leave them in there for a few weeks and that'll do it naturally so yeah, yeah. that's something yeah i don't know if i would do that but <laughs> it's the clean <laughs> more, end yeah more power yeah. to you if yeah. you want to yeah. i mean i'm yeah 
Yeah, and I saw that on the website. I think you said there's like a tree grafting workshop or was a tree grafting workshop for apples? There was. There was. Yeah, last spring, and, yeah. and we'll probably do it again this spring, uh, which reminds me it's a good time to go out and get your scion. So um, to graft, you need the, you take rootstock, which is the source of, which is everything sort of below the ground, pretty much. It's, you're, you're basically taking, uh, so, so to back up a little bit, uh, I don't remember the term, but apple trees and the, um, the palm trees, apples and pears, uh, they, and, and quinces too, they, their seeds have a totally different genetic makeup and configuration uh, than the parent tree. Right. So if you plant an apple tree from a seed, you will not get that same tree no. from that seed. Your chances are like one out of 10,000, um, which is why we have so many varieties. And, um, and and so to if you want a certain type of apple, you cut scion or a whip, basically, of uh, uh, the end of a branch uh, of a certain age. Uh, you you keep the you collect them in the winter. You keep them until spring, and then you purchase rootstock, which is also a, a selected uh, base for your future tree, which has certain properties. One being uh, size, so you can get dwarf or medium size or full size uh, rootstock and. Uh, if you take that scion and graft it or attach it to the rootstock, then um, the bottom will provide the nutrients up to the top, uh, um, and what you get is uh, the fruit of the parent tree from that scion or from that uh, whip that you've grafted onto the bottom. So it's it's you, there are a lot of different directions you can take it. You could have a dwarf uh, Macintosh, or you can have a, a medium-sized Macintosh, or uh, a Spillade Macintosh, or uh, so so. There's the four or five different kinds of rootstock, and and now you know hundreds of different kinds of apples, and so so you can end up with thousands of different. Um, configurations so it's kind of fun another thing to play with it's not easy to do and right. one thing I didn't realize is that after you've grafted uh, it's not rocket science but uh, after you've done the graft then you need to 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 um, put your put put the plant sort of to sleep for a while let it recover from this traumatic uh, right. uh, surgery yeah, yeah yeah and and then reintroduce it in the spring very slowly and uh, and, and gradually uh, to to light and to the outdoors it's it's a bit complicated but really fun to do cool uh, maple syrup yeah in the spring yeah are you going to tap trees? I saw some some blurbs on the website about tapping trees, JP Sugar Shack. Maybe three years in a row, I uh, tap a dozen to 20 trees in the Stony Brook Valley here, a section of Jamaica Plain where the orange line runs through it. And there are a lot of sugar maple trees around. And I tapped uh, uh, the trees uh, in people's backyards. They bought into sort of a co-op uh, group 
I would collect the sap, uh, boil it down in a evaporator that was manufactured at Stony Brook Fine Arts, which is also right around the corner, um, and uh, and ended up with uh, I think at the most like three gallons of maple syrup. Uh, it's a lot of work, whether you're doing one tree or a hundred trees, it still means you collect it. And even more than that, it still means you have to watch it as it boils. But it's a, it's a, just a fantastic way to start. It's the first harvest of the year, of the calendar year. It's You can get outside and, and be active and be uh, involved in an agricultural uh process and uh, unless you're keeping chickens or something which is a year-round activity it's really about the only thing you can do agriculturally when there's still a lot of snow on the ground Uh, and it's and it's one of those things that uh, that really it it keys you into uh, the weather uh, temperature uh, sunlight everything because your harvest from day to day is very dependent on temperatures and sunlight and such. Right. So the closer to freezing without being freezing makes the sap flow throughout the tree. You tap the tree, get some of that sap that's flowing through inside of the tree. So like what's the best? The Well, so the best is, um, is a consistent, uh, consistent period of weather where at nighttime it's below freezing and the farther down it goes... Um, the better as long as during the day it's above freezing. Sunlight is also pretty important as well. So um, you tap a tree above a root, a large root that you can see coming up and and below a branch that's overhead. Uh, And if it's facing east or uh, southeast, that's uh, important as well because it's getting that sunlight on that part of the tree. and yeah, if if your bucket's there and it was below freezing last night and it's a well above freezing uh, during the day, you're gonna get a couple gallons in your bucket. Um, you collect it on a daily basis, uh, maybe every other day. If it's a slow day, uh, it does ferment on its own, so you want to get it into the evaporator pretty quickly. But fermented sap doesn't seem to impair the flavor of syrup, at least not once it's boiled. Down. Yeah, once it's boiled down. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just a lot of fun, and it's another one of those things that brings people together. Uh, and uh, you mentioned the idea of building a sugar shack. I I, uh, I I do have dreams of doing it, although in an urban area it's a little difficult uh, to talk about uh, open fires inside a small wooden building. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think it could work. Uh, we probably have to invest in a lot of fire suppression yeah. systems that you don't have to worry about when you're in the middle of Vermont. But the the uh, Loring Greeno House has expressed interest uh, in having a small sugar shack where people for a month, uh, um, six weeks in the spring could come and congregate, bring sap that they might have tapped from trees in their backyards and, uh, and share in the uh, monitoring of the evaporator, yeah, uh, and just basically add their sap into a big container of everyone else's sap and monitor around the clock, and then end up with some maple syrup in the end. Um, 
The only thing is once you tap, uh, you really need to keep going back and emptying it every day or every other day. Uh, so it's a commitment of, of, of uh, you know, about six weeks. But around here it starts, uh, you know, end of January, early February, depending on the weather. goes on until, you know, sort of early April, mid-March. So part of what makes me feel good about... The shop here is that people don't have to go. I'm I'm more convenient, and people don't have to drive to Providence or up to Tingsboro to buy their equipment, or pick up their bees, or or get their chicks in the spring, and or or um, or get their chicken food. Um, if I can bring it in by the truckload and have it here for people, um, so I'm I'm very aware of how much. CO2 I'm contributing to the air and it's way more than uh, than I should but at least I'm helping to reduce it by being here and having a place where people can drive shorter distances to get what they need so um, and that goes for maple sugaring as well and for all the other fun things that I've loved in my life does eating at home look like what do you eat do you cook a lot um, who cooks in your house what do the meals look like do you eat dinner at home every night or um what do you like to cook what do you like to eat i'm i'm uh my wife does most of the cooking at night i'm more of the breakfast person and it's not i mean this is it's not very exciting um with three kids it's more about uh speed and 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 quantity than quality i'm afraid yeah so there there's sacrifices that we make but i do when i can love to you know, incorporate honey into what I'm using or make, uh, you know, apple sauces and jams and jellies and quince easy, pastes. Is it just spread on toast in the morning or whatever and be done? Yeah. yeah. Not this super intensive meal stuff revolving around this stuff. Great. Bill, thanks so much. Sure. Super fun this talking fun. to you. I'm sure we're going to talk more and again Anytime. and be involved in a bunch of projects and stuff in the future. Is there anything else um, you want to say? Any parting words? Any advice? Start just start. Part of it? It's yeah, just far easier than you would think uh, and, and or interesting. So, and the other part of just being... Uh, uh, sort of opening up a new world of food for you or, or a new uh, experience is that you're opening up a new community of people. Uh, the beekeeping community is incredibly tight and, and warm and, and, and welcoming. Uh, um, uh, the people who are uh, collecting and making cider in the fall or acorns, uh, uh, harvesting acorns, it's a group of people who have this sort of shared uh uh, interest and but but they're different people and and they all have their own lives and uh, and that's by uh, that's what I find fun is just talking to people and getting to know them and yeah. learning about who they are and what they've done and uh, it's what makes the world go round. Yeah. yeah, just get out and do it. Yeah, and uh, and I'm you know if I I love to be uh, a resource. So if anybody has any questions or um, or or want to be launched in a new direction, maybe Agricultural Hall can help. Uh, if anybody's interested, uh, the bees will start coming by the hundreds of thousands. Uh, 
early April. I think April 2nd is when the first shipment of bees come. Um, there will be 30 boxes of bees with uh, 10,000 bees in each one. Uh, uh, chicks will come probably soon thereafter if people order them. Uh, usually don't get that many chicks, maybe two or three dozen every year. But And then there'll be more bees as the spring progresses up until about uh, the end of April, probably.